This is Classic Business with Michael Avery on Classic 1027 in Gauteng and Fine Music Radio in Cape Town. It's time for your view from the C-suite in partnership with Eltron, bringing you closer to the business leaders around the boardroom table where market cap is irrelevant and the interview rules don't matter. My next guest has carved a successful niche bridging the world of academia with business to create one of the most successful fund managers in the country. He's recently celebrated his uh, 51st birthday. I'm sure he doesn't mind me giving that away in some style. And uh, some say I should introduce him as the husband of Tashma Ismail Seville, the woman who is looking to reverse youth unemployment in South Africa. Dr. Adrian Saville, welcome to The View. Thank you, Michael. Uh, last week when I celebrated my birthday, a colleague said I'm actually 20 years old with 31 years experience. It's a great <laughs> way of putting it. And uh, in large parts, your story is uh, still being written with all of that experience. But let's go back to your early, early days. You matriculated from Westville, Boys High, in 1986. So peak sort of state of emergency in South Africa. Were you politically conscientized to what was going on in South Africa as a young man? How did that shape you? I'm delighted to say that the country that I was born into and raised in no longer exists. And yes, I was uh, politically conscious and aware. And uh, as I went into my late teenage years and uh, early 20s, politically active. And that was very much a result of the family and the circumstances that I was raised in, where we simply you know, would not uh, tolerate and accept the circumstances of that country. And uh, it was a, a particularly, I think, tough circumstance from many angles. It's interesting you know, how often things come in full circle in South Africa, perhaps has you know, changed shape and color. That might be a poor turn of phrase, but uh, in many ways we're still wrestling with these deep problems that 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 Mm. country was suffering under. Mm. Your upbringing interests me because you entered the world of academia and clearly you felt Mm. at home here because you went all the way up to PhD level where you completed your PhD in economics at the University of Natal in 97. You were actually awarded the Economic Society of South Africa's Founders Medal for that. Did you come from an academic family? (laughs) I'm wondering if there is any chance that my parents are listening. (laughs) (laughs) I think it would be fair to suggest, uh, to say no. My mother uh, finished school. My father does have a university qualification, a professional qualification. He's a chartered accountant by training. But um, otherwise, there's uh, no academic architecture really to point at or talk about. Uh, in many ways, this was something that I shaped for for myself. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say in any way that I didn't have a family that was steeped in you know, education, the importance of education. Mm. But there's, I think there's a difference between education and academic interest. And your academic interest has certainly been a standout of your career. You've uh, lectured at various universities, really made a name for yourself at Gibbs, where you've been lecturing in economics and strategy since 2003 and built quite a fierce reputation alongside Nick Benedel over there. What did you find so welcoming about the world of academia? I fell in love with the world of economics rather than the academics of economics. I think although you know you can put a doctor and professor around my name, it's the application of that material and content. It's mm. how you turn these ideas into a different reality. That's the part of, you know, now I want to use uh, air commas, that's the part of academia uh, that uh, that fascinates me is how you can 
shift and reshape circumstances and reality and that this can be uh, borrowed uh, or learned from the experience of others and the part of economics that especially uh, captured my attention was the field of development economics uh, given South Africa's uh, circumstance then and now uh, and you know, I just fell in love with the with the idea that futures could be changed as I uh, grew deeper into the field of uh, economics my my profession in investment management uh, marries to this uh, uh, immediately uh, in uh, in the form of uh, behavioral finance uh, and the psychology uh, of investing so you know uh, my throwaway on this would be that uh, you know, you can change countries by reimagining uh, futures and by rearranging your resources. Uh, and that's the macroeconomic answer. And the microeconomic answer is we can uh, we can change our individual circumstances uh, not by shifting stuff around on a spreadsheet, but rather by changing our our behaviours and beliefs. And that's the microeconomics. And we'll come to some of the microeconomics in a, in a short while. I want to stay perhaps on the, on the macro for a while longer. Your uh, your wife, Tashmir, is making massive impact in reducing mm. youth unemployment. And this concept of capitalism needing to reform itself, certainly looking at it through an economic lens, was touched on by Martin Wolf in the FT recently, uh, bemoaning rentier capitalism and the way it's been distorted uh, and distorting the whole risk-reward effort fundamentals of the system that we know and in large parts that I certainly embrace. And it skews things very much in favor of the elites. One feels that now is the time to redefine our own sense of capitalism in South Africa. The president's busy building a new social compact. We've got Tito's plan on the table. We've also got the World Cup currently underway in Japan. And if you can tie all of those disparate things together, my basic question to you is, what could we learn from the Japanese to form and develop our own unique sense of a South African capitalism that is far more inclusive than the one that we have right now? The, the stuff that Tash is doing, uh, I think, is an ex- uh, incredible demonstration of how you know, existing resources can be, can be reshaped. In the space of uh, less than a year, uh, the Youth Employment Service has created, uh, established more than 21,000 work opportunities. And to me, uh, this changes the future for 21,000 young people. Her, the number that they have, uh, you know, in their heads and on their targets is substantially greater given the size of South Africa's youth unemployment problem. I think we can call it a crisis. Um, your point about uh, Japan, though, is, uh, I, I think is exactly on the money because uh, rewind Japan uh, 70 years, 80 years, and uh, here is a country that is, uh, that is poor, uh, that is distant, and that suffers under very high levels of inequality, low levels of industrialization. It's not really a champion nation uh, in the 1930s or 40s. And in fact, by the end of World War II, Japan had been socially, politically, economically devastated. Mm. Uh, It was in ruins. And from 1945 into the 1980s and 1990s, this country... I'm not sure rebuilds is the right term. It builds uh, to become a leading nation in industry, uh, in 
uh, in conduct, in behavior, in social cohesion and inclusion. And this is without uh, sort of the, the table thumping of nationalism mm. um, or nationalist sentiment, which says, you know, us at everyone else's cost, uh, but rather how do we do this together? And uh, if you visit Japan today, here's a country that boasts one of the highest levels of income per person globally, one of the longest life expectancies, which speaks then about uh, health care, uh, high levels of education, literacy, technological advance, low levels of income inequality, uh, psychologically uh, happy, and very low levels of crime. <laughs> Uh, so you can transform, um, and you know the magic then is what is those what, what are those ingredients, and that's the work that I've been involved in uh, academically for the last ten years or so, trying to understand what the cocktail is that makes up these extraordinary transformations. And what is that cocktail? What is that magic ingredient that mm. can deliver uh, prosperity and happiness and growth and a fundamental shift in a, com- uh, a country's trajectory? Because we seem stuck in stagna- stagnation here in South Africa, Adrian. Yeah, Michael, the work that uh, I've been involved in uh, starts with a, a data survey studying 160 countries over 60 years. So 10,000 country years of data, which is a, you know, a very rich set. And um, in that work, we've gone in search of these common ingredients, and it boils down to just six factors, and so I cheekily call this the Savile six-pack, um, uh, hopefully resonating uh, with Ray Nietling's six-pack <laughs> rather than any other six-pack. Well, no, Chad, just, Chad the clothes, an old boy of... No, I'll um... take that too. He's a wasteful old boy, yes. <laughs> Open arms, I'll take either. Um, And the six factors are elevated savings rate that fund investment, uh, gross domestic fixed investment, building hospitals, uh, highways, harbors, fiber optic cable. The second factor is demography, which is a young population, more people coming into the workforce than going into retirement. Uh, Education and healthcare uh, stack up in these six factors connectedness, economic openness, and this is not a case of just throwing open your borders and you know, anyone can do whatever they like, and mm. it also recognizes that you can have dysfunctional connectedness. Uh, colonization is dysfunctional connectedness. So it's openness is a connection to others that translates into win-win. And then mm. uh, the, the final ingredient is uh, much to, uh, I would admit, my surprise and now delight is policy stability because as a profession, you know, economists spend a disproportionate amount of time wrestling over who is right. <laughs> and what we find in this work is that policy stability matters even more than policy correctness. So much like parenting, you know, mm. establish the rules. Bedtime is uh, 8 o'clock. Uh, devices are off you know, at uh, such and such an hour. Pocket money is this. These are the rules. No one has perfected parenting in the same way that no one has perfected uh, policy making. But if you can work with consistent, knowable, trustable rules, then you've laid down one of these critical six factors.
That's what struck me in my recent trip to Poland, uh, Adrian. With three decades, or within three decades, they moved from uh, a GDP yeah. below that of Mexico to now being a developed nation. And through 17 different yeah. political administrations in three decades, the one consistency was consistent economic policy. And that created that bedrock um, that, that you speak of. I'd like to move now to your leadership approach in your a personal and your professional life, Adrian. And I think it was you who actually introduced me to the bookoflife.org, which is this incredible online resource, uh, part philosophy, part psychology, and it's all about developing one's EQ. How have you approached your leadership journey? Where would I take leadership principles from? I have to you know, put this sort of responsibility squarely at the feet of my parents who have had a profound uh, impact on shaping my beliefs and my behavior. And I've had the privilege of uh, building and running a business for uh, the last 20 years. And then you become a parent where you're also uh, required <laughs> to be a leader. This word leadership, I think, is thrown around as if you know, somehow someone is singled out. I don't advocate or uh, uh, belong to that belief at all. Rather, I think leadership is every single one uh, of our roles and responsibilities. Mm, mm. And the sense of, of community that I think uh, from from the citizen's perspective, I feel we've almost lost in South Africa. I think a lot of us are a great deal sadder, more anxious, and are feeling a lot more incomplete and restless because we lack this sense of community. So um, I would certainly start to try and rebuild that uh, if I was uh, occupying Tain Hayes, but I'm sure the president's got so many other things to do uh, trying to kickstart the economy as well. Adrian, last question, uh, and we are running out of time. I had so many more lined up, but uh, I'd just like to find out, you know, you're turning 21, or Canon is certainly turning 21, and you've established yourself as, you know, one of the finest asset managers in the country, uh, super dogs, hummingbirds, some really fantastic portfolios that you've built over time. What was your worst investment, though? Was it the red GTI? I hope you're going to ask me what my best one was. (laughs) Probably the worst investment, you know, rather than things that I've bought on the market, are decisions that I've taken uh, in the allocation of capital. And, you know, you make the joke about the red GTI. I did an exercise uh, for a group of young investors that I was speaking to recently where I showed them what a car that I had bought in my early 20s had cost me because rather than buying... Uh, the pragmatic, practical, affordable, reliable car. I wanted to sort of up the game a little bit. And I spoiled myself by allocating a little more than I should have to this car. And it wasn't outrageous by any uh, stretch of the imagination. But that allocation of capital, if you compound it over 30 years from my early 20s to now, uh, translates into a sacrifice of investment return of about 3 million rand. Oof. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, and uh, how much did that car cost uh, in the early 1990s? In case people are like, well, what did he buy? It was a Golf GTI. <laughs> well, I think in that lesson, a lesson for the ages and for all of us to delay some gratification and also <laughs> to park the ego, to use the car analogy. Adrian, a real pleasure sharing your insights into your personal and professional journey, which, as I said, is a story that is still in large part being written. Do take care. Thank you, Mike. That was Dr. Adrian Saddle, CEO of Canon Asset Managers, sharing his view from the C-suite, which, as always, is brought to you by Ultron Technology Partners in your digital transformation journey. For more information, visit them at ultron.com.